Please be seated. On this beautiful day, Amos, thank you for that pleasant reading from Amos. Amos is not messing around. Unlike the other prophets whose words are handed down to us and whose insights and their worldly impressions form the basis of our deep traditions, Amos is all about bad. There is no moment when we even get a glimpse, like we do with Isaiah and Jeremiah, of the so-called remnant, those who will survive the destruction brought on by crummy behavior and habitual, even uh, systematic denial and defiance before the Lord and the Lord's precepts. Amos just keeps it up. We are, how can I put this delicately, we are in for it. A little bit of history, Amos is a colorful and representative prophet. His words were recorded, or at least remembered, during a long period of exile and powerlessness after Israel was taken over by the Assyrians. So a huge part of the subject matter of these prophets was not actually prophetic looking forward, it was history. So to a large extent, these prophets were uh, spiritually oriented, frighteningly blunt, and gloriously expressive historians. Amos was no exception. And the other important thing to remember is that when they say Israel in these stories, it's two different things. It's the land, the actual kingdom of the north, the ten northern tribes, as opposed to the two southern tribes around Jerusalem. And it's the two southern tribes who are telling the stories many years after all this happened. And the other thing is that Israel can also mean the people, including and especially those faithful people who are listening to the stories, the physical and spiritual descendants of Sarah and Rebecca, Rachel and Leah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, each of them listening, and each of us. So the prophecy is the history of the old kingdom of the north. These tribes are now lost. And the prophecy is also the present and future destiny of its listeners, Judah, Jerusalem, us. Amos is all about the wholesale destruction and revolutionary spiritual overhaul we have to undergo in order to live into our glorious opportunity as faithful, happy, and useful people. Perhaps the finest preacher in recent history, Dr. Martin Luther King, quoted Amos frequently and famously, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. You can almost hear his voice when you see those words. So why did he and so many prophetic preachers choose Amos for the text, for the root example of what God is trying to get us to do and understand? Well, the answer is perfectly encapsulated in a slogan you might hear in a 12-step rooms like AA and others. And the occasion would be a sort of litany often read by some of the folks there at the beginning of a meeting, and the passage is called, How It Works. That's what we want to know. How does it work? 
The phrase we want to look at recalls the colorful, unequivocal, unequivocal farmer, Amos, who says, half measures availed us nothing. You can't go halfway. We stood at the turning point, and we asked God's pr protection and care with complete abandon, not just partial. Amos insists that Israel has forfeited its right and privilege of care from the Lord. Now, of course, this is partially his historical cleverness. He's, he's writing a myth. Prophets like Amos were cited when the Israel guys would turn to each other and say, hey, how did we get so overrun? I thought we were the chosen ones. How did this happen? And the prophets would explain, well, this is because you were stiff-necked people who defied rather than deified the Lord. You, you messed up big time, and now you're filling your own ending, ending, whatever you like. You're in bad shape. But all the other prophets give a little glimmer of hopefulness. A few folks who survive. A new day dawning, but not Amos. He obviously wants his hearers to realize that clever rewriting of history, protesting our own innocence and good intent, and the lip service that's often done to God's serious and vital instructions, all those strategies are as ineffectual as the sinning itself. It's not just the sinning and the violence, the failure of neighbor love that puts us outside the shelter of God's care. It is our attitude of self-sufficiency, our ongoing rationalization and justification the mindset and the behavior based on survival, self-interest, stinginess, that's what's going to kill us. God knows that we will mess up. It's no biggie. So new, as they say in Yiddish. But what God condemns is our refusal to try, even try another frame of reference, another way of life. And here's Amos to tell us, half measures avail us nothing. We can't just talk, think, and occasionally pray about the time where we'll be happy to stand before our God as good, active lovers of our fellow people. No, no, no. We have to try now. Whole systems built on energy that half measures. It's okay. We decide how much to love. It's okay to postpone justice. It's okay to minimize mercy. Amos is telling us, St. Paul is telling us in his letter to the Galatians, and Jesus is telling us with the Samaritan, you cannot walk by one more opportunity to be part of what I'm calling you to do. Start now and never stop trying. This is your life, and this is the only path to happiness, also known as eternal life. We have to walk the walk not just talk the talk, or as my grandmother used to say, fine words don't butter the parsnips. The good news is we don't have to negotiate how much to change. We don't have to change all kinds of things, just one, everything. And so our beginning is our end, willingness and teachability. And Jesus frees us for this by continually referring to faith, as the necessary power for wellness. We have to accept the complete and radical nature of our transformation. We have to become hearts that know the source of our love and our faith is the hope laid up for us in heaven. 
Then, and only then, can we feel it's okay to do the next right thing. Like the great general Naaman we talked about last week, the leaders of the Israelites and we are bidden to listen very carefully to the humble people around us. Amos is not a scribe or a scholar. He's a farmer. And the so-called lawyer who's listening to Jesus' story of how to handle a person in a ditch, this lawyer wants, as Frederick Buechner has noted, something that's going to stand up in court. Who exactly is my neighbor? But Jesus insists that the fellow set aside his learning, set aside his argumentative skills, just keep it simple. St. Paul insists there is a close link between knowing God and practical loving treatment of those we meet on the road. We have a new life every time we ask for it. And we remind ourselves of this whenever we admit, as the Muslims say, Yaladu rayal nitibanam, which means God does not destroy the people we hate. God's not going to do anything about the people we hate. God will, however, destroy the hatred, if only we'll ask. So here are two short prayers that maybe can help us with the asking. One is Jennifer Lord. Have mercy, O God. Make us merciful. Make us mercy bearers. Make us bear the fruit of mercy. Make us more than good. Make us merciful beyond bloodlines and country and creed. Make us mercy to all we meet. And the other is by the poet Ann Porter. I thank you, God, for that secret praise which burns in every creature. And I ask you to bring us to life out of every state of death and teach us mercy. Amen.